Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Glory to God. Well, I've had this on my heart for the last several days, I guess, Sometime about last Friday, you know, the Lord started dealing with me about this. I was in the, it was found, had found myself in a place where I was struggling a little bit with, with something that I had just, I, th- I felt like I had messed up in a particular area. And uh, just beating myself up over, over it the whole time. And uh, just finally, the Lord just you know, kind of got my attention. And he brought me back to something that I ministered on a long, long time ago, which has been a, a subject that I have uh, has been near and dear to my heart because of the, the environment I was raised in. You know, you, you everything you do, you know, one thing you do, suddenly you're not born again, and you, you're, you're not going to heaven. You do one little, you mess up one little bitty thing, you know, and Jesus comes, you know, the rapture takes place, and you ain't going, you know, that kind of stuff. So this was dear and dear to my heart. But uh, I, uh, you know, I, sometimes I, I think it's really good for you to understand that we as pastors are just people. When we live the same life that you live, we don't have a grace to live it. We have a grace to minister from the pulpit, a minute to minister to people, but we don't have a grace to live. My, my journey through life, spiritually speaking, is the exact same as yours. I don't get a pass. All right, you hear me? I don't get a pass. No, I don't, you don't get, well, you, you know, you get an extra little so-and-so because, because you're in the ministry. No, it doesn't work like that. So I'm faced with the same things that you're faced with. You know, and I have to deal with the same things that you have to deal with, and I have to deal with them exactly the same way you have to deal with them. And sometimes you need to know that we, we face the same things. You know, I remember years ago when pastor had cancer, you know, and, and we came to the church body, you know, and said, as a family, we want you to know this is what's going on, and this is what we're doing, this is what we're believing, this is how this is going to go. And, and as a family, you stood with us. And I had people after that come and say, thank you for sharing that, because it makes me feel like, you know, you really, you know, you really do face the same things that we face. You know, and so I just want you to know tonight, I face the same things you face. And so I found myself, you know, with just a lot of different notes on different things uh, connected to this that, that kind of went above and beyond what I had originally ministered so long ago. But we're going to start off by talking about failure. Failure is a part of life. Did you know that? Failure is a part of your life from the moment you are born. Failure is a part of your life. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, how do you learn to walk? By falling. By getting up and you fall. And you get up and you fall. This little baby, you know, those little those tykes, we usually expect them to walk around the time they're about one year old. You know, and if you're fortunate, they, they wait till they're 18 months old. And if you're not, they're walking at seven months. <laughs> but the way a baby learns to walk is to get up and try it. And they fall. And they get up and they try. Does that make them a failure? No, it doesn't make them a failure. It means they're learning. They're growing. You know, and so failure is a part of our everyday life. Everything in life that we learn, everything, every bit of knowledge that we learn has come really by trial and error. You know, we put it in and then we try to remember it. I mean, how many of you knew your multiplication tables the first time you heard them? No, Dan, you did not. It took, it took time to learn those things. You know, and that's what tests in schools were all about, was to find out, okay, how much did you retain? 
And how much do we still have to work on? See, that's failure. But it doesn't mean I'm a failure. It doesn't mean you're a failure. When those things that, but all through our lives, that's the way we learn. We do things, it doesn't work, we try it again. You know, we do it again, it doesn't work, we try it again. If you gave up after you tried to walk five times, you'd all be sitting on the ground still. Thank God you're not crawling around anymore. That's not a good place to be. But failure is something that we, we, we find ourselves doing all the time. You know, but for us, you know, as, as we raise children, what we find out is we don't look at them as a failure. We look at them because we're their parents. We look at the fact that we're here to help correct their failures, stand them up again. We're here to encourage them to keep on trying. Come on, you could do it, honey. Come here. Come on. Come on, sweetie. Okay, come, sweetie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, let me get Miss, Miss Paula's yellow key ring. You'll come after that. And, and we support them until they can do it on their own. See, that's what God intends for us to do. In everything that we do, naturally, failure is part of it. But we're not failures. Growing up spiritually means that we, there's a lot of things we're going to try and we're not going to succeed at all the time. But God's right there to encourage us saying, come on, come on, get up again, get up again. You know, you can do it. He's there to support us in everything that we do, spiritually speaking. He's a wonderful parent. Wonderful parent. Now, now, failure can bring growth in your life naturally and spiritually. It's supposed to bring growth in your life. Edison failed over 1,000 times before he had a working light bulb. Now, how many of us would have been that determined to make this thing work? That's a lot of times to fail. And yet, he didn't look at it as something negative. You know, our... Our failure can be, can be viewed from a positive aspect. It's called failing forward is what I like to call it. I, I, now I know, like Edison, well, at least I know a thousand things that it won't work. You know, you know we're, we're looking for a house right now, and we've seen a lot of houses. Well, you keep asking me, have you found it yet? Haven't found it yet, but I know what I, I, know what I don't want. I know a lot of things that are out there that I don't want. So that's a positive step. You can look at failure from a negative place. It's called failing backwards, where you get into a flame of mind where nothing ever works for me. Nothing ever works out for me. I'm never going to be any good. I'm never going to get this right. I'm never going to make it. I'm never going to have anything. I'm never, you know, never, 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 never. I always mess things up. Listen, you need to be, you need to be very leery of the words always and never. Because usually it's not the, the Lord talking to you when you start using those kind of words. Hallelujah. Listen, failure can propel you into the next step or it can knock the props out from under you and lead you into a place of despair. But the choice is yours, how you're going to look at this thing. Now, I know that just for me, that when I fail in something, you know, sometimes it's, it's a small thing, sometimes it's a, it's a bigger thing. You know, I, I know that there are two things that will come at me now. It's called conviction and condemnation. And that's really where we're ta- what we're talking about tonight. Conviction and condemnation. And so I have a lot of things that the Lord just put on my heart about this subject. And uh, I, I just, I, you know, just, I've got so many things written down here. I just want to make sure you, you understand them all. Conviction uses our spirit to achieve its end result. 
Because usually when we are in a place of failure spiritually, it's our own spirits. It's our own spirit that's talking to us about it. And when our own spirit is talking to us about it, what it's saying to us is, ah, that's not good. Don't do that. You're better than that. You know more than that. You can do better than that. And it, and it brings me back to the word. You know, there are so many times you're just sitting in a service, you know, you know if, you, if you just look, you know, keep your blank face, you'll, you, nobody will ever know that that word is like shooting you right between the eyes. You know, when, when you say amen, you know, that, that's great. But don't say oh me because somebody will have you pegged if you do that. But, you know, in, in a service, you know, the word will convict us a lot of times. When we're faced with something out of the word of God that we can't deny, it will conv- on, our, on the inside of our heart, we'll say, you know, and it will remind us of an area that we need to do something about. But in the end of all of that, there's always the word. The word's always put out there. When, there's a con- when it's real true conviction, there is coming from the inside, but yet there's something there. That doesn't attack you, but it encourages you. Here's what you can do. Here's what you can stand on. Here's what you are. Here's what you can have. There's always a positiveness to it. You know, there's, there's something, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Now, on the other hand, condemnation will use your mind and your emotions to achieve its end result. Yeah. So, like I said, conviction will use your spirit. Condemnation will use your mind and your emotions. And ultimately, your physical body will be affected by the one you give into. You know, our minds and emotions, it just puts us in a sense realm. And our sense realm cannot be trusted. Cannot be trusted. It's not an accurate guide. It will overtake you. It will overwhelm you. It will bring fear, darkness, despair, depression, even suicidal thoughts if you let it. Condemnation will rob you of your time, your productivity, your faith, your fellowship with God, your fellowship with other believers. It will rob you of your peace. It will rob you of your joy. Because let's face it. That's what the enemy does. Doesn't John 10.10 say the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy? He wants to steal your copes. He wants to kill your dreams. He wants to, to affect your future. And if he can get a hold of your mind and your emotions when there's something wrong, something that, I mean, that you need to correct, then he's got you right where he wants you. A conviction will acknowledge the problem area with a desire to change it. There'll be something on the inside of you that says, I, 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 yeah, I, I know I see what the word says, and yeah, I, I want to do this differently next time. It's like the baby who's trying to walk. He falls down, but he wants to walk, so he gets up and he gets going again. You know, he might fall down 10 times, you know, in the first few minutes, you know, of today's little exchange here. And yet he keeps on going, he keeps on going. He's got a goal in mind, he wants to walk. And that's what we need to do. When, we, when conviction comes in our hearts, we want to see that it, it's the, you'll know that it's just conviction, not condemnation, by just the way you feel about the whole thing. I mean, you can sense, okay, all right, this is, this is where I'm at, 
and, and I know what the word says. And yes, I can, I can line myself up with the word and I can do differently. I can do better. I won't make the same mistake again. Well, you say, well, you just don't know me. I've made the same mistake over and over and over again. We keep getting up. Keep getting up. You'll get it. You'll get it. They say that it takes seven times to hear something, a fact, before it's firmly established in your mind. Well, I think spiritually speaking, you know, there are times when we need to look at it the same way. We have to hear it over and over and over. That's why you teach from the pulpit on the same subjects year in and year out. Because not only do we need to get it established on the inside of us, we need to grow in that area. And the only way we grow is to hear it and to hear it and to hear it and to hear it. Because the more we hear it, the more we see in it. That's spiritual growth, and that's what conviction will bring. When you have, a, you have had some kind of a failure of some kind, maybe you didn't walk in love towards somebody. Maybe, you know, don't sit there and justify yourself by saying, well, they deserved it. Well, look what they did to me. And, well, I don't know why I would have to do, I don't know why I have to walk in love. You know, they're the ones who ought to be walking in love. You know, no, don't justify it. Just say, no, I did not do a good job of walking in love. Now, Lord, I thank you that you see more in me than I see in myself and that you know I can do better than I know that I can do. But I'm going to put myself in a place to do what the Word says. That's called getting up again and not giving. I don't, you don't, just because you fail, like I said, does not mean you are a failure. And so um, you take that place, acknowledge that area. Condemnation will acknowledge the problem area with a very negative attitude and a defeated attitude, saying that this will never be any better. It'll always be like this. You know, all those always and nevers again. That's what the enemy loves to do. You will always be like this. You will never be any different. You will never change. You will always make the same mistake over and over and over and over and over and over again. You know, this, is, this is something he does. He wants to prevent you from growing. He wants you to prevent you from learning from, from this failure and getting up. What does a baby do every time they get up? They learn a little bit more about balance. They learn a little bit more about what it takes. You know, you, you watch them, you know, and sometimes they, all they can do is they pull themselves up on a chair or something and they just kind of stand there, you know, and they're still kind of doing kind of this, you know, they're just standing there. But after a little while, they're, they're nice and steady. Well, now they're going to let go with one hand, you know, and kind of take a little step. You know, just progressively, they get better and better and better and better. Sometimes I think we expect so much of ourselves that we put ourselves in a place where the enemy can come in and pounce on us and, and get us in a place where we're feeling horrible about ourselves and hor- about, horrible about our progress and horrible about the, about the life that we're leading and horrible about the future that we'll have. You know, but you can't do that. You know, if you're wobbling, that's okay. Just stand there and wobble. And if you fall down... Find the nearest, the nearest chair and get up again. It's okay. You know, you let go and you take one step and you fall. It's all right. Get up. If you have to crawl back over to the chair, wonderful. That's what the word is for. That's what the word is for. It's here to prop us up, to help us, to, to, to steady us, to be the thing that we can rely on and to lean on and, and, to, and to put all of our confidence in. You know, when I, when, as, as a child comes up here and, you know, they play around, you know, they have confidence in the fact that chair's not going to move. 
Listen, the Word of God will never move. It is steady. It is sure. It's a foundation you can bank on. It's never going to It's never going to let you down. The only way you're going to be let down is if you let go. And so God is so good to us. Hallelujah. Um, conviction comes from a place of love from the Father's heart with a challenge to be better, to grow stronger. Condemnation comes from a place of accusation, and it wants us to cave to the problem. It wants us just to give up, give in, quit. Listen, the, 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 I, one of the, some of the best advice I can give you is don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. No matter how hard it seems, no matter how many times it seems like you've failed, no matter how many times you have to repeat the same steps over and over again, don't quit. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't let go. Hallelujah. Um, Conviction involves a specific point in a specific area. You know, like again, like the example of walking in love. God's not going to sit there and tell you everything you've done wrong. With, when conviction comes in my heart, the word accompanies it, but it's usually about a specific thing. One thing. See, God knows us well enough to know that we, we deal with one thing at a time. One area at a time. One thing at a time. I can, I've, I've had a little, little uh, pity party right now. He can, he can deal with me on that. If I've been not nice to somebody, he can deal with that. And that's what conviction will do. It'll take one thing at a time. It's not going to overwhelm you with what you need to change, what you need to do, what you need to correct, what you need to grow in. It'll take one thing at a time so you can handle it and handle it well. Condemnation, on the, overall, on the other hand, just, just becomes this sea of problems. You know, this, this overwhelming, you know, picture of the vastness of what a, of what a miserable failure you are. It's kind of like being out in the ocean without a life preserver. You know, and, and, and what, what the word does for us in a, when it's conviction is it, it, it throws us a life preserver. It throws us something to hang on to. Condemnation, on the other hand, is like blood in the water. The sharks come in for the kill. And, and that's what the enemy wants. He wants you to get to a place where you, that's all you see is misery, failure, defeat, despair. And just overwhelmed by everything at one time. That's not God. He wants us to grow. He wants us to correct areas. He wants us to grow in places that we, that we struggle in. He wants us to become better at dealing with, with things and dealing with situations and dealing with our thought life and dealing with our, our actions and, and every area, and all these areas. But he's not going to come at us like a freight train with it. He's going to come at us with, a, with, a, with it in a measure and in a level that we can understand, that we can easily handle before we move on to the next thing. You know, that's called growing up spiritually. That's what it's all about. Conviction will produce godly sorrow. Lord, I'm, I'm just sorry. I really am so sorry. It's not, enough to, you know, it's not enough to say you're sorry. You have to get to a place where you really, really, truly, and deeply understand 
what this mistake was all about and truly and deeply want it to be different. You know, condemnation will tell you that it's all despair, you know, gloom, despair, agony on high. Isn't that what they used to do on hee-haw? There's an example in the Bible in the New Testament of two people who dealt with betrayal but dealt with it in different ways. Now, one, conviction got a hold of him. The other one fell into condemnation, and that is Peter and Judas. Both of them betrayed the Lord Jesus. Both of them had equal and ample opportunity, I believe, to change that situation. God would have forgiven Judas. Judas didn't have to die. You look at the difference in their lives. Peter sorrowed, wept, and he became a man that stood in front of thousands on the day of Pentecost when 3,000 were added to the church. A man who went before those people in boldness. Had he betrayed our Lord and Savior? Yes, he did. Did he repent of that? Yes, he did. Did he let it take him down? No, he didn't. He decided to go on with God. He put that behind him, and he said, No, no, Lord, I repent. I repent, Father, I repent. And he was the one God used on that day in such a bold way. Got up in front of those people. These are not drunk as you suppose and began to just preach about Jesus to them. And people were born again and saved. Judas, on the other hand, disappeared from sight. He recognized what he had done. And he was sorrowful, but condemnation got a hold of him. And where did it lead? To him hanging himself. Both of them had the same opportunity. Both of them. I want you to see that no matter where you, you sense failure, whether it's in something small, like you were, that you, were, you know, talked badly to somebody, whether it's something bigger, you, know, you can, can overcome this. And the conviction that God brings into your heart and your own spirit begins to talk to you about is something that will take you to the next level if you'll let it. That's what Peter did. Peter let it take him to the next level. I'm telling you, he was a disciple who had walked with Jesus, and it looks like he he denied Jesus three times. And yet, he got his act together. He let God work in him, and he, he, he went to a higher level. One of the great people of the, of the New Testament, you know, that we see and who led the church. You know, had he, had he just focused on his failure, where would he have been? Same kind of state that Judas was in. Judas did not have an opportunity I don't know how how quickly he went out and took his life. But, you know, I I said earlier that that condemnation will separate you from God. It will separate you from other believers. Had he gone to some of his other brothers, had he gone to some of them and said, help me, pray with me, you know, I'm so sorry. If he had found Jesus before Jesus died on the cross, Jesus would have said, you're forgiven, I forgive you. But he didn't. He didn't seek anybody out. He was by himself for the enemy to work on. He didn't have to die. 
Listen, you don't have to fail. You don't have to give up. You don't have to give in to to all the, the things that you think are your faults and your failures and your shortcomings. All the ways that you miss it. Don't let the enemy do that to you. Hallelujah. Uh, conviction will see a future beyond what you can imagine right now. It'll see a future. Condemnation, on the other hand, will have you running away from God, hiding like Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden. See, when God came down, they knew they had done wrong. When he came down to the garden, as was his custom to come to them in the garden, and to walk with them and to talk with them, to spend time with them, they ran from him. They hid from him. When he finally found them and got to talking to them, they, they said, we're naked. Well, who told you you were naked? See, God's saying that to you tonight. If you're in that place where the devil's got you under a, a cloud of condemnation, you know, and he's telling you all these things, God's saying to you, who told you that? Who told you? Who told you you didn't measure up? Who told you you couldn't have that? Who told you you weren't any good? Who told you that? you got to figure out who told it, who said it, and go from there. Hallelujah. To convict really means to declare guilty of an offense, and conviction is convincing of a truth. Condemnation is to judge or pronounce unfit for use or service. Condemnation is a personal attack. And we don't need to give in to it. Um, go with me. You know, I, I, I just love the fact that Paul over in Romans 7, he says, you know, he, I just, I love it. I think, you know, I'm in such good company. You know, I said this to somebody the other day. I said, you know, I, just, I was telling about how I felt, felt like I had just fallen way short on, on a particular thing. And they said, oh, no, it's, you know, you just got to get up and go on. I said, yeah, I know, but, you know, I... Uh, sometimes you say, yeah, I understand. I understand. You know, but I thought, I said, well, you know, at least I can go back over to where Paul said, the things that I know to do, I don't do. The things that I should do, I don't do. The things I shouldn't do, I, those are things that I do. And I'm going, thank you, Lord. The apostle Paul even fought this struggle. You know, I feel like I'm in good company here. But the, the best company to be in is the person who says that, but then does something about it. Let me tell you, Paul well, let me just go on here. I'll get a little ahead of myself a little bit here. First um, John three twenty one says, "Our heart is our hearts that condemn. If our heart does not condemn us, then we have confidence." John sixteen thirteen talks about the spirit of truth. Are you listening to the spirit of truth that's on the one on the inside of you, the one that's that's coming that's talking to you from in here, not the one that's talking out here, but the one that's talking to you in here. Psalm one nineteen says, "Your word is a lamp unto my feet." And a light into my path. Why? Because the light needs to expose the things that we need to change. You know, there are people who, who, who get into areas in their lives and they want to keep it in the shadows. They want to keep it in the dark. They don't want to acknowledge it. They don't want anybody to find out about it. They don't want anybody to see it. But the Word comes along and it shines a light on Even the things that we try to convince ourselves of, that, oh, I'm, I'm okay there. The word will come along and it will expose that. It'll shine a light of it. No, you're not okay with that. You're not okay there. You need to do something differently about that. That's what the word is supposed to do. Um, John six sixty three said, The words that I speak, they're spirit of their life. Galatians 5 talks about the, the flesh versus the spirit. Romans 8 talks about walking not after the flesh. 
Ephesians 6 talks about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And, and Hebrews 4.12 talks about the Word being a two-edged sword, a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I think Pastor talked about Sunday about about sometimes you know we we talk to each other about some things and you know and and I'll he didn't he was nice he didn't he didn't exactly say it this way but I'll just I'll tell myself you know that I'll, I don't want to do so I want to do either do something or not do something based on this reasoning this reasoning because that's not the reason at all that might have something to do with it but that's not the real reason you want to do that the real reason you don't want to do that is because da 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 and I just I just he gets the eyebrow at about that time and he goes. Don't shoot that eyebrow at me. I don't mean nothing to me. You know. He's become immune to the eyebrow over all these years. <laughs> but that's what the word will do for you. It will cut between the heart. It'll lay it out for you. If you let the word do that for you, it will lay the, lay the whole picture open to you. So you go, yeah, you're right. That really is. It really is. I, I do need to do something about that. Hallelujah. Second um, Corinthians two seven. Go with me over there. Hallelujah. Paul was talking about someone who had had grieved him and somebody who wasn't really living up to their, their potential that God saw in them. And in verse 7, it says, So that contrarywise, you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. You know, there's a lot of religious people in the world. You know, I'm thinking of that church that's, where is that church that goes around to soldiers' funerals and uh, that whatever that church is, you know, that gives Christianity a bad name. Those are the kind of people that the enemy is using just to heap condemnation on other people. You know, it's you don't you don't go up to, to a man to try to try to get him to accept Jesus as his savior, telling telling him everything that he's done bad, telling him everything that has wrong with him. Telling him everything that, that he's short, his shortcomings are. You know, the Bible does say that we've all sinned and come short of, of the grace and glory of God. But that's not how you approach people. You know, you approach people when you want to get them born again, when you want to witness to them by, by letting them know that God loves them regardless of what they've done. God loves them unconditionally. God wants to help them. He wants to move them past the place that they're at into a place of greater glory. He wants to move them into a place where they can be used of him. He wants to move them into a place where they're happy, satisfied, content, fulfilled in their lives, and moving on with the things of God. Paul here in this verse, he said, he said just forgive somebody and comfort him. Lest perhaps one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. There have been people through the centuries who have done such a disservice to another brother and sister. Instead of comforting them, instead of helping them, instead of speaking the word to them and saying, listen, you can do it. You can do it. I had somebody, you just, just give me a great example of, of how their, their mother had raised them. And, and instead of coming at them when they were, you know, a, a child, not a baby, but a child old enough to understand, old enough you could reason with, elderly, old enough you could talk to, instead of coming at, this, at, at her when she was in that age group and saying, I can't believe you're just a bad kid. 
you know, why did you do such a thing? They would look at her and say, that this mom would look at this daughter and say, I know you're much better than that. I know you can do much better than that. This is not, this is not my daughter. This is not the daughter that I raised. This is not the daughter that loves God. You know, I want to see that daughter. You know, that's a better way to approach people. Much better. Instead of beating them over the head with how they failed, how they've missed it, just go to them and say, this isn't you. This isn't the real you. This isn't the person that God sees. This isn't the person I see. This isn't the person that, that is, has so much in them. You're just not letting it out. You're just not letting it shine. You're just not giving heed to it, not giving place to it. That's all. It's in there. There are so many people that I think that would still be serving God today if somebody had approached them like that. And yet the enemy used them to heap such condemnation and such despair into their lives that they turned their back and walked away figuring, I could never be any different. I could never change. I could, I could never be successful doing this in my life. You know, but, but Paul understood that we are there to be an encouragement. You know, you could be the arm of encouragement to someone else who needs it instead of throwing them out and just say, well, I'm done with you. Instead of just throwing them away, throwing them on the, on the trash pile, the spiritual trash pile. No, rescue them. Rescue them with words of comfort, with words of encouragement because you're going to need that someday too. It's an opportunity for you to sow seeds. So when you mess up, Somebody will come encourage you instead of beat you down. You know, everything in life is an opportunity to sow into your future as well. Just to to sow compassion, to sow love, to show mercy. You know, do you want to reap it? Well, then take every opportunity you can to sow it into someone else. Um, In 1 Timothy, you're not too far away from there. 1 Timothy, verse 4. Or chapter 4, that is. Let's just start in verse 1. Now the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devil. I've got written here in my Bible that that seducing could also be be translated as deceiving spirits and doctrines of devils. In verse 2, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared, with a hot iron. You know, the longer we manage to stay in places where, they, where our heart's trying to tell us that we need to change, the more likely we're going to have a place where our conscience is seared, that we're not affected by it anymore. I remember a lady who came to church here for a short time years ago. Uh, she was separated from her husband, and, and he was just doing all kinds of things. She says, this man says he's a Christian. How could he possibly be a Christian and be doing all this stuff? And I just said, you know, you do something long enough, it doesn't bother you anymore. It just doesn't bother you anymore. Your conscience is seared. You've, you've overridden your spirit man so many times that now no, God just, and the word can't, can't get to that, that spirit man that's on the inside anymore. That's why they live like that. There are plenty of Christians who've gone back out into the world and who've, who've done that. They've, they've been in places. They've done things that they had no business doing. They've said things, whatever. You know, and, and they've just done it over and over again and ignored that man on the inside till no longer that man says anything to them. You know, that's something we want to avoid. You know, the, the thing that, about condemnation is that it just keeps you in that place where you don't see God reaching out to you. 
But that spirit, man, if you will just instantly recognize that's who's talking to you and respond to the one that's on the inside, there's help. There's help there. Hallelujah. In Proverbs 17.10, the Amplified says, A reproof enters deeper into one of understanding than a hundred lashes into a self-confident fool. You know, there are people who get involved in things and they think, oh, well, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. It's no big deal. I can handle this. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm spiritually, I'm good. I'm good. You know, I can go here, even though I know I probably shouldn't, but I, I can handle it. I can handle it. That's a self-confident fool. You know, if you play with fire, you're going to get burned. And somebody might get burned along with you. That's the problem. It might not be just you. Pastor, when he was a little kid, decided he'd go play with matches out in the field next to their, close to their house. And what he did was he set the entire field on fire. And the whole, you know, here comes the fire department, and he never owned up to it. Did your mama ever know? He, she, she, to the day she died, she never knew he did that. You know, the fire trucks and all them were out there putting this little brush fire out and everything. It's because he decided to play with the matches. Too many Christians decide they're going to play with matches. And their spirit man is trying to say, don't do this. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. I don't want you to get burned. Hallelujah. Um, Sometimes our conscience, we have to be careful sometimes that, that our conscience doesn't get programmed according to somebody else's thinking or somebody else's traditions, somebody else's ideas. You know, our conscience should be right in line with what the Word of God says. You know, and, and what do I mean by that? Listen, I was raised in an environment where you didn't, you didn't cut your hair, you didn't wear makeup, you didn't wear jewelry, you didn't wear pants, you didn't do a lot of things. And it was so programmed into, in, in, into me that it took me a while to decide, I can actually wear a little makeup, it's not going to kill me. Really, I am, I, And then when I got my ears pierced, I was 27 years old. You know, we were pastoring. I got my ears pierced. I love jewelry now. I've got so much jewelry, it's ridiculous. Because I was jewelry deprived for 27 years. But I remember the very first time I saw my mom, after I got my ears pierced, she took one look at me and she said, oh, What have you done? And I said, It's okay, mama. I'm still going to heaven. And yet we have some family members raised in the same environment that won't wear a bracelet because, no, I just, I just, couldn't, I just couldn't do that. Uh, no, I just couldn't do that. Why? Because somebody else's tradition, their conscience is bothering them, but it's because it's been programmed by somebody's tradition, somebody else's thinking. So make sure that when your spirit man's talking to you, that it's talking to you from a place of what the Word has got to say. It's just some nonsense that some individual has tried to put into your life. And it will help you a whole lot. You know, there's, uh, I remember the first time I put on a pair of, pa- pair of jeans. Or, well, I don't know if they were jeans. I don't remember now what. Just a pair of pants. I was like, is lightning coming down from heaven? Fire going to fall? Okay. All right. Okay. I don't know. You know, everybody had just so, so fearful of, of, of doing anything that was against the code. Oh, okay. Oh, Lord Jesus. Okay. 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 Do I need to take them off now? No, it's because that's man's junk. Just man junk. You know, what does the Bible have to say about it? It didn't tell you you couldn't do that. 
So anyway, even though they say, they try to say it does. Uh, make, make sure it lines up with what the word says, not what people say. Amen. Source of condemnation, obviously, is not God. John three seventeen. God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. Romans 2, 4, the goodness of God is what leads men to repentance. Revelation 12, 10 says that the, the devil is the accuser of the brethren. Is something coming at you as an accusation? Guess where it's coming from? The devil is accusing you. He's accusing you before God. He'll accuse you to your face. He'll accuse you before other people. Don't let him get away with it. John eight forty four says that he's a liar and the father of liars. There is nothing truthful in what he says about you. You know, but then again, there is something that I discovered that I, I was allowing the enemy to put me under condemnation all the time because in everything, every time he would come at me with something, there would be a small nugget of truth to it. And what's happening here is that the enemy knows the scripture probably better than you do. And he's not above using it against you. And so because you, you recognize some truth in it, suddenly you're giving heed to it. Instead of listening to the man on the inside. I found this, this passage over in Romans in the, in the Message Bible that I honestly thought really, really spelled this out real well. And it's kind of hard to find a, a starting place, you know, for this. So we'll just, um, if, you, if you, it's Romans 8. And let me see. Um, gracious. It's talking about the law. I'll just start in verse, well, it's verse 8. This is the Message Bible. And, you know, it's a paraphrase, but sometimes it helps, you know, clarify some things for you. And this might be a little lengthy, but I want you to listen to this. It says, the law code started out as an excellent piece of work. What happened, though, was that sin found a way to pervert the command into a temptation, making it a piece of forbidden fruit. The law code, instead of being used to guide me, was used to seduce me. Without all the paraphernalia of the law code, sin looked pretty dull and lifeless, and I went along without paying much attention to it. But once sin got its hands on the law code and decked itself out in all that finery, I was fooled and fell for it. The very command that was supposed to guide me into life was cleverly used to trip me up, throwing me headlong. So sin was plenty alive, and I was stone dead. But the law code itself is God's good and common sense, each command, sane and holy counsel. I can already hear your next question. Does that mean I can't even trust what is good? That is the law. Is good just as dangerous as evil? No, again. Sin simply did what sin is so famous doing, using the good as a cover to tempt me to do what would finally destroy me. By hiding within God's good command that sin did far more mischief than it ever could have accomplished on its own. I can anticipate the response that is coming. I know that all God's commands are spiritual, but I'm not. Isn't this also your experience? Yes, I'm full of myself. After all, I've spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, then I act another doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. But I need something more. For if the law, for if I know the law but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. 
I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expected, they take charge. I've tried everything, and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is yes, Jesus Christ can and does. Isn't that a picture of where we find ourselves so many times? The very thing we want to do is the thing that we don't do. The very thing that I, my, my heart intends to do, the, the, the passages I need, I want to keep, the, the, the ways of life that I want to walk in, I just don't do. But there is help. Hallelujah. It's found in Jesus. Glory to God. In Acts 20, verse 32, it said, It's the word of his grace which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance. Isn't that wonderful? So how do you guard yourself against condemnation? Number one, confess any sin, any shortcoming, any failure. Confess it instantly. First John 1, 9. If anybody fails, you know, God's there. Just in the fact is, just look at it. Sometimes we know these things so well that we just, we skip over them. First John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So number one, you confess any sin instantly. Number two, believe that you're, con- you're forgiven instantly. Number three, forget about it. Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-four says that he forgives and he remembers no more. Psalm 103 says, as far as the east is from the west, so are our transgressions. That's how far apart they are. Number four, reject any further condemnation. You can go to Romans 8, 1 for that. And number five, confess you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's 1 Corinthians 5, 21. Listen, recognize when condemnation is condemnation. Recognize when it's conviction. When it's conviction, it's coming from the inside. When it's condemnation, it's bombarding you from the outside. God will not ask you, require of you, expect you to do more about it at any one given time than what you're able to, and he's there to help you through it no matter what. It doesn't matter how many times we fail. It doesn't matter how many times we we make the same boo-boo over and over and over again. It could be a small thing. It could be a large thing. It doesn't matter. I was beating myself up last week week about about something that, you know, in and of itself, it's not going to change anything. It's not, it's not an eternal, you know, rift in the universe or anything like that. It's, not, it's just really not a big deal. And yet I was letting the enemy just beat me up over something. And so I just I came back to this, you know, and, and just realized that's not God. That's just not God. He's like, it's okay, hon. Just forget about it. Let's go on. That's God's attitude. Let's go on. Let's go on. Not you get up and get on, on about your business. He goes, he will always say, let's go on. Because we're in partnership with him. You know, didn't Jesus say, come take my yoke? 
For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And we always look at that word yoke as something that is a punishment kind of a tool. A yoke is something hard to bear, something that brings us into bondage. No, a yoke is also something that connects two animals together to work as a team in harmony to get a job done. That's what Jesus was talking about. God is saying to you, if you've had an area that you just that you you struggle in over and over again, it's okay. Let's go on. Put the devil on the run. Look him in the face and said, I'm not taking your lies. My father doesn't talk to me that way, so I know you're not my father. The word says that I'm above and not beneath. The word says I'm the apple of his eye. The word says he's always there for me, always there with me. He is on my side, that he gives me richly all things to enjoy, that he leads me in triumph daily, that he puts me over in everything. And you're not saying that, so I'm not listening to you anymore. Stop letting the enemy keep you held down into a bondage that you're making for yourself. He can't put you under bondage. You allow him to. You allow him to. He can only do what you allow. Likewise, God can only do for you what you allow. He says, let's go on. He's going to pick you up, stand you up, give you the word to stand on, to hold on to. And then he's going to say, let's try it again. Let's go on again. Let's do it again. You can do it. You can do it. You can, and I guarantee you, if you'll do that, one day you'll look back and you say, I've come a long way. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.